Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in with us on what has been such a weird, strange week. Uh, this is a weird Sunday for me, I'm standing here talking to a camera, but talking to all of you, and I know it's been uh, strange for you. And so a couple things before we jump right into the message this morning, I just want to say about Easter. Um, first of all, uh, we are excited about Easter and we are planning some really exciting things. So I just want to say zero collective wide at Frontline Church, no matter which church location you're at, uh, at, at New Life in Wayland or at Center Church in Byron Center, uh, I want to say to you, do not miss the first five minutes of Easter service. Uh, hopefully we'll, we're going to be able to gather on Easter and the, we have planned the first five minutes of Easter services are going to be incredible. And so don't miss it. This would not be the week to show up like five minutes late, okay, to our Easter gatherings. You want to be there. You want to be in your chair and ready to go um, because we just believe those first five minutes are going to be powerful to where we're going for the whole morning. So I want to invite you to do that. The second thing I want to say about Easter is, and we've been talking about this and excited for a while, we are going to be, all three church locations, we are going to be celebrating baptism on Easter weekend. And so what that means is if, if you know baptism is your next step, if you know that you're ready to do that, that's the next step in your spiritual life, first of all, we'd love for you to let us know that you're planning to get baptized, and we'd love for you to plan to be there on that Sunday and get baptized. But the second thing I want to say about that is if there has been somebody who's been significant in your spiritual life that's been a big part of your walk to get to this moment— uh, we would love for you to actually invite them to be with us on that day and to actually ask them to baptize you. Uh, so maybe it's uh, a pastor, maybe it's a small group leader, maybe it's a parent, maybe it's somebody who's a part of our church, maybe it's somebody who's not a part of our church uh, from your past who is just significant in your life. If you'd like them to baptize you, we would love for you to actually reach out to them and ask them to be with us on that day and for them to do that. We want to allow for that to happen now, I'm going to be there baptizing uh, people at Frontline. John will be there at Center Church. Brad will be there at New Life. But we just want to see what God could do uh, if, if we just allow that to happen. And so um, I want to just invite you to get excited about Easter. And if you're ready to take that next step to get baptized, that's going to be a huge moment to be able to do that. So we're excited for that. Um, as we look at the message for this morning, um, yesterday I went to Meyer for the first time since this whole virus, um, you know, all the precautions and all the shutdowns happened. And when I went to Meyer, I noticed the shelves were empty for a lot of items, but there were a couple of items in particular that were completely gone off the shelves. First was toilet paper. There was literally no toilet paper anywhere. And people were like standing there asking different employees, do you have, do you have some toilet paper? Is anybody going to bring out a new skid of toilet paper? And so uh, this was completely empty. And then the other thing I walked by was this entire wall of what normally has jugs of water on it, like drinking water, distilled water, completely gone. No water anywhere. And so as I was looking at this, uh, these two particular items, I was going through my memory of like what people have talked about with this virus and I was trying to figure out why these two items in particular were gone. And I'm thinking to myself, well, isn't this a respiratory virus? I'm trying to figure out why when we heard the news that we might get this respiratory virus, that suddenly we thought we needed excessive amounts of toilet paper. Are, are we confused about what might happen here? <laughs> I was trying to figure out why do we think we need massive amounts of toilet paper? And then water, I'm trying to think back. I don't remember them saying a fear with this virus is that it could get in our drinking water or that you could get it from our drinking water. So why? Why these two items as opposed to all the other items in the store were completely gone? 
Here's my theory. And this is just one stupid man's theory, okay? But uh, my theory as to why these specific two items is because these two items represent what we think we need in order to secure our future in our hands. So if we think to ourselves, if worse comes to worse, if like we play out in our minds the worst case scenario, uh, these two items, we feel like if we can get these two items in an attempt to get control of our security and our safety for our future, somehow we're going to be safe, we're going to be secure, and our life will be securely in our hands no matter what happens. And I actually think the passage of scripture that we're going to look at this morning speaks directly to what it means to have our life and our security uh, in our hands versus what it means to actually put our life and our security in the hands of Jesus. And so that's what we're going to look at together. I'm going to put these two items down right here, and I'm not going to go far away from them because somebody might take them. I'm just scared of that right now. So uh, if you're just joining us, maybe you're not aware, since the beginning of January, we said, hey, we're going to set aside, we just felt led by the Holy Spirit as a collective, we're going to set aside the first part of the year 2020, and we're just going to follow Jesus through the gospel of Mark. And every week, we're going to just read the next section, the next chunk. And so the section of scripture that we came to today is what we're looking at this morning. This is just what was the next part of what we were going to look at in scripture. And I think it speaks directly to the times that we're in. It speaks directly to uh, the fear that a lot of us have. It speaks a lot to what it means to put our lives in Jesus' hands versus hold our lives in our hands for our own security. So if you were with us last week, what happened is in Mar- we are in Mark chapter 8. That's where we are. And in Mark chapter 8, there's this pivotal conversation that Jesus has with the disciples. And so Jesus asks his disciples, he says, who do people say I am? And then he, he asks them a further question. He says, who do you say I am? Which, by the way, is the question that all of us have to a- a- answer with our lives. Who do we say Jesus is? And Peter, the disciple Peter, is the first one to respond, and he says, you are the Messiah. Now, the word Messiah means king. And so Peter, this is the first time in, in the Gospel of Mark that Jesus is identified clearly as the Messiah, the king who is prophesied about, the one from the line of King David who is to come, who is going to usher in this kingdom that would put everything back together again the way God ordained it to be. And so Peter confesses that, Jesus, you are the king, you're the Messiah. And Jesus responds by saying two things. The two things Jesus says, he says, yes, I'm a king. I am the Messiah. I am the one that was prophesied about, but I'm a king going to a cross. And so in this moment, the entire gospel of Mark in Mark chapter 8 shifts And we're no longer talking about who is Jesus. The whole first part of Mark is all about who is Jesus. But now, the rest of the Gospel of Mark is going to be all about the cross. It's going to be all about what Jesus came to do. I'm a king, but I'm a king going to a cross. And then Jesus calls the disciples together, and what he says is, I'm a king, but I'm a king going to a cross. And what that means is, if you're going to follow me, that means you've got to go to a cross too. Because that's where I'm going. So let's look at this uh, together. This is Mark 8, starting in verse 34. It says this, Then calling the crowd to join his disciples, Jesus said, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. And what do you benefit If you gain the whole world but lose your own soul, is anything worth more than your soul? 
If anyone is ashamed of me and my message in these adulterous and sinful days, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. This is the the message Jesus speaks right after he says, I'm a king, but I'm a king going to a cross. He says, you're going to come after me, you're going to follow me, this is what you have to do as well. What strikes me immediately when I read that passage, what hits me is that what we think is like sanctification. When we use that word sanctification, Jesus called that a prerequisite for following him. In other words, what we think in our heads is we think that we slowly, over a long period of time, that we slowly decide to forsake everything and follow Jesus with our lives. But Jesus says, no, actually, you've got to offer it up right away, and that's how you're going to find this life that's truly life. You've got to offer your life. You've got to put your life securely and completely in my hands if you want to find the life that's truly life. Maybe some of you are frustrated because you're still trying to follow Jesus without first forsaking everything else. And you're, you're holding on to your life. You're holding on to your own security. And you're saying, where is this life that Jesus claimed I was going to have? Where is this peace that passes all understanding no matter what my circumstances? Where is this joy that's complete in him no matter what's happening around me? And and we're frustrated. And the reason for that is because you're still trying to live out of yourself. You know, your abilities, your skills, your talents, your possessions. And that's not what Jesus actually invited us into. Jesus invites us into something completely different. Just to bring a little bit of clarity to what Jesus is saying here, uh, when Jesus uses the word life in this passage, when he says anyone who wants to hang on to their life will lose it, but anyone who gives up their life for for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will find it, the word life there is the Greek word psyche. Now there's a couple different words in the New Testament that get translated into the word life. In this particular passage, it's the word psyche. It's where we get our English word psychology. Uh, The word psyche uh, refers to identity. It refers to personhood. It It refers to what makes me a self, what makes me a unique me. What, what makes you different than everyone else? What makes you uniquely you? Your identity, your personhood, that's what the word life in this passage is referring to. In every society, there is something that says, if I attain that, then I'll have a life. Then I'll be a somebody. Uh, identity is performance-based in every society all throughout human history, it's always been that way in every society. It's I, identity is performance-based. It's if I attain that, if I get that, then I'll be a somebody, then I will have a life. And so, and so what we do oftentimes is we try to attain our identity through our performance. And so uh, there's a couple of false paths because of that that we tend to take when we're trying to find ourselves. When we're trying to find our identity, when we're trying to find our purpose, when we're trying to find meaning in life, there's a couple false paths. I just want to walk those through with you. And by the way, both of these paths I have tried to take, I think it's human nature. We all do this. So a couple false, uh, pa- <clears throat> excuse me, a couple false paths that we try to take when we're trying to find ourselves, trying to find our own meaning. The first one is that we harvest our identity from our performance. We harvest our identity basically from our ability to perform. So maybe it's from our job. 
Maybe it's from our family, our relationships. Um, maybe it's from, you know, our possessions, our wealth. But we basically try to harvest our identity. We say, hey, if I can just do well in these areas, then I'm going to be a somebody. And we harvest our identity from our performance. When you do that, when you harvest your identity from your performance, what happens is you grade yourself on this public image that you're projecting out for everyone else to see. And so it's this perfect curated image that you post, that you put a filter on and you post it out there and you grade yourself on that public image that everyone can see. And when you do that, you never are fully known. You're never truly vulnerable and and you live in isolation ultimately at your own hands. Nobody else has to put you in isolation. You put yourself there when you live this way. Because what you're doing is, is you're, you're grading yourself by this public image that you're putting out there. And simultaneously what you're doing is you are hiding your private failures. Any public success you want everyone to see, any private failure, you, you want to hide that. You want to keep that here in the background. And because of that, you never find healing. You never find community. You never find what Jesus offers us when you live that way. That's what happens to us when we try to harvest our identity from our performance. And so if you're wondering, well, do I do that? I don't know if that's me. I'm not sure I do that. We've talked about this before, but a great question to ask if you're, if you're wondering, is there anywhere where I'm harvesting my identity from my performance? A great question to ask is, what do you constantly check? What do you constantly check? That should be a good indicator. Maybe it's likes and, uh, you know, comments on your posts. Maybe that's where you're harvesting identity from. Maybe... Um, maybe it's from how much money is in the bank account. Maybe you constantly check the bank account. And right now we're in this time where because of this virus and because of what's happening, I think God is allowing a lot of these things that we've harvested our identity from to kind of be stripped away from us and for us to see where we truly are finding our identity, where we truly are finding meaning for our lives. And so if you constantly check the bank account or if you constantly check the investment portfolios this last week or two, it's going like this and you're questioning, you're you're not just questioning the future of your bank account, you're questioning what? Your own future, your own life. That's what you're doing. Maybe Maybe what you constantly check is the scale. Every morning you stand on that scale and whatever that number says, that's the number that makes you feel like that. that number is how much I'm worth. That number is how much I'm valued because that's where you're harvesting your identity from. You know what it is for me? And and this week, I thought I had kind of moved past this in my life, but oftentimes for me as a pastor, where I have harvested my identity is from how many people show up on Sunday morning to church. (laughs) Isn't that ridiculous? As a pastor, that I would harvest my identity from whether or not you show up and sit in a chair. But I've done that. There were years where I would not leave church on a Sunday before I had found out that number. I had to check it. I had to know how, much, how many people had come that morning to church. And based on that number, if I felt like that number was good, then I would go into Monday feeling great about myself. And if that number was not good, I would go into Monday feeling worthless, terrible. I, don't, I shouldn't even be a pastor. And this week, as we've kind of gotten these um, you know, the ban uh, in, in large gatherings from the governor and as things have just kind of unfolded, it's stripped away my ability to harvest any kind of identity from how many people show up on a Sunday. I have no idea how many of you are watching right now or how many really will watch this. It can't be about that. 
So that's a false path. What do you constantly check? Where are you harvesting identity by, of your, through your performance? That's the first false path. The second false path is we seek Jesus so we can get our identity and purpose. You say, what's wrong with that? At least we're seeking Jesus with this one, right? At least with, with this one, we are actually trying to seek Jesus. But, but what we're doing is we're seeking Jesus so we can get our identity and our purpose. When you do that, when you seek Jesus just to get your identity and your purpose, you actually never find your identity and your purpose because it's still a pursuit that's based on you. It's still a pursuit that's based on your abilities, your talents, you know, what you can bring to the table, that kind of stuff. And so what Jesus says is he wants us to lose our old identity and to base our identity completely on him and the gospel. That's what he says in this passage. When you lose your life for me and for the gospel, that's when you gain true life. So here's what the prayer sounds like. And I prayed this prayer. I bet many of you have too. The prayer sounds something like this. Jesus, if you will make me into a somebody, then you can have my life. right? If you make me into a, you know, popular, uh, wealthy, successful somebody, then you can do whatever, you can have my life. You can send me to Africa. You can do whatever you want in my life if you do that for me. And Jesus says, that'll never work. That'll never work. And so that the, the true path, these two false paths are not the way to go. The true path that we have to embrace is we have to seek Jesus You have to just seek Jesus, just Jesus. He is your new identity and he is your new purpose. Jesus himself, we seek him for himself. And he actually becomes our new identity. He becomes our new purpose and our new meaning in life. You say, well, that sounds hard. Yeah, yeah, it is. How do I even do that? What does that even look like? What does that even mean in my life? What's interesting is that all the writers of the New Testament asked that question too. How am I supposed to do that? What does that look like? And they all had different metaphors for it. There are so many different expressions of how to do this, how to seek Jesus himself. He actually becomes your new identity. He becomes your new purpose. I'll give you one, maybe my favorite one. The writer Paul, when he's um, writing to the church in Galatia, he uses this expression to describe this. Galatians 2.20, he says this, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. So so the metaphor Paul uses, he says, uh, I've lost my life to gain true life for the gospel. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. It's no longer me that's living. It's actually Christ. He's become my identity. He's become my all in all, and it's actually him who's living his life through me that he's taken over everything. So here's the point of this whole sermon. If you hear nothing else I say this morning, especially in these times, hear me say this. Here's what it means to lay down your life, to pick up your cross and to follow Jesus. What it means is that whatever you take out of your hands, whatever you allow to be put in Jesus' hands and allow to be crucified with him, he can raise and resurrect to new life. That's it. Whatever you allow to be put in Jesus' hands and crucified with him, he has the power to raise and resurrect that to new life. Whatever you hold on to, whatever you keep a tight rein on, that's what you're going to lose. That's what you're going to have to ultimately let go of. 
whatever we do to try to hang on and put our own security, our own lives, our own future in our own hands, we're eventually going to lose. Whatever you put in Jesus' hands and, is, and you allow to be crucified with him, that's what he'll raise to new life. A couple years ago, there was a guy in our church, 68 years old, and he called me up and he said, hey, uh, Brian, can I come in and just meet with you? I want to talk about something. This is a guy who's been a part of our church for years and years. He's served in all these different ways. I, I love this guy. And I, I said, absolutely. So we sat down and, um, to talk face-to-face, and I said to him, what's going on? And here's what was going on. He, he told me that he had taken one of those ancestry DNA tests. Some of you know what I'm talking about, right? Some of you have done this, or your family members have done this. And these ancestry DNA tests, they're supposed to like, tell you like, what your, your DNA makeup is. And so at 68 years old, he took this test, and the results of this test were shocking, surprising, based on who his family was. And so that led to a couple conversations with family members, and what he discovered, at 68 years old, this guy starts to realize that the man in whose home he grew up in and who he called dad all his life was actually not his biological father. And suddenly, all these light bulbs are coming on. Things made sense about his relationship with his dad. Uh, Things that had happened in his years growing up that had always been confusing him, suddenly he starts to realize why that had been. And so now at 68, he's faced with this dilemma. Do I go through this very painful process of talking to family members and, and trying to like look under every rock and discover who I really am, who, you know, what my past really was, how I came to be, who my real father was? And so he, he comes to me and he knows this is going to be very disruptive to his family. And so what he said is, he said, Brian, I just want you to tell me, do you think I should go find out who I really am? That was his question. Do you think I should find out who I really am? And so we prayed together, and I just said this statement to him. I said, you know, I think you already know who your real father is. Because you're a follower of Christ and have been for years and years and years. Your true identity was not gifted you by your biological parents Your true identity is not gifted you by your performance or something you do. Your true identity, who you really are, was gifted to you from before the foundation of time, and it is yours, and you get it through Christ and through Christ alone, what he did in your life. So we talked about that, and at the end of the conversation, he said, you know what? I don't think that's a mystery I need to solve. I already know who my my real father is. I I already know who I am. I love that passage that talks about how we've been adopted as sons and daughters. Because of what Christ did for us on the cross, we've been adopted into God's family. We, are, we can already know who we are, not because of who our parents were, not because of our place in this world, not because of some identity we've harvested from our performance. We can know who we are because of what Christ did. When you allow yourself to be crucified with Jesus, when you take your life and you put it in his hands and allow it to be crucified with him, he will raise your life up. He will make you into a person who's been redeemed, who's been restored, and who lives their life for his glory, for his purposes. Your identity becomes Christ, and that's what he calls us to. That's what he calls us as his followers to experience. 
Let me try to illustrate this for you and, and bring it home a little bit. Uh, let me put it this way. A basketball in my hands is a bag full of bricks. You could build a house with it. A basketball in the hands of Michael Jordan is six NBA championships when the NBA still was playing, right, and having a season. Uh, a golf club in my hands is a broken window. Some of you have golfed with me before. You know this is true. I'm terrible at golfing. A golf, if you put a golf club in my hands, it's a total disaster. A golf club in Tiger Woods' hands is the greatest comeback in golfing history. It matters whose hands it's in, right? So I think you know where I'm going with this. My life in my hands is a total loss, my life in Jesus' hands is a life that has been raised up and redeemed and has been made for his purposes and his glory, and that's a life that cannot be taken away from me. No matter what happens, it, when my identity is in Christ, when I put my life in his hands and my life has been crucified with Christ, I no longer live, but Jesus Christ is now living in me and through me. What that means is my identity is not about what I have. My identity is now defined by what cannot anymore ever be taken away from me. My identity cannot be taken away from me no matter if the coronavirus comes to my house. My identity cannot be taken away from me no matter who gets elected in November. My identity cannot be taken away from me no matter if the divorce happens, if the boss fires me, if the economy tanks and I lose my job, whatever it is, my identity cannot be taken from me. Even if I were to lose my leg. I want to tell you about a guy in our church I'll close with this. Uh, his, name, his name is Brian Donahue. And Brian Donahue, in 2009, uh, he had this horrific accident where he slipped on the ice in, in January of 2009, and he broke his right femur. And when they got him to the hospital and they began to, to do surgery on his leg, what they found out was that that break was actually a blessing because what it revealed was that there was this huge giant cell tumor that was attached to Brian's right femur and it had actually had hollowed out the bone and weakened the bone and that's why it broke the way it did. And now this led to a major surgery where Brian's knee was replaced with a metal knee and the, and the, top, the bottom part of his femur was also replaced and that began a 10-year journey for Brian having infection after infection and complication after complication with this right knee that he had uh, he had to keep going back into the hospital. He had to keep taking time off work. Eventually, it led to him not being able to walk anymore. He lost the ability to walk. And so in January of 2019, after 10 years battling this and going through all the pain of this, uh, Brian and his family made the very difficult decision to amputate his leg, to, to allow the doctors to take his, his leg above the knee and that he would be amputated. And so... I, rem I still remember there was a group of people from Frontline. A couple of them were contractors who actually went to uh, Brian and Chris's house. And Brian and Chris have several kids. They've been foster parents and adopted as well. And they moved Brian's home office where he works from home to the main floor of, of his house so that he wouldn't have to navigate the stairs as just an act of love for him and for his family. This is an incredibly difficult time. And you know what Brian is doing now? After all this loss, after all this change, after like 10 years of struggle and battle through this, you know what Brian's doing? He recently just wrote a book 
And the book is called Smile Like a Pirate, uh, How to Find Hope in Loss. And the reason for the title, Smile Like a Pirate, is when he, when, <laughs> when he posted on Facebook, I think it was, that uh, he was going to have his leg amputated, one of the first responses was from a lady in our church, and she said, is it too soon for pirate jokes? <laughs> and Brian thought that was so funny. He actually, it kind of turned him around and kind of turned his spirits around to where he actually could kind of laugh at it. And so that became the title of this book. And in this book, he walks through his 10-year journey and his battle, and he, he talks about his faith. And he talks about the church. He talks about just the journey he's had, even just as a person walking through this. And uh, I was talking to Brian last night. Another thing he's doing right now is he has become a mentor for potential amputees at Mary Freebed, where uh, people come in and they're scared because they're going to go through this experience. They're going to have to lose a limb. And Brian actually meets with him. He, I talked to him last night. He said, yeah, actually, since this whole um, you know, uh, ban and social distancing has happened, he said, I actually have been connecting with a couple of people I'm mentoring over like Skype, over like a video screen to be able to just talk with them and encourage him. That's what he's doing now with this whole thing that happened in his life. How does somebody do that? with something so painful and so awful. The way they do it is they don't put their identity in their own hands. They put their identity in Christ. And they allow him to live his life through them. What happens eventually when you live this way is your identity no longer is defined by what you have. Your identity is defined by what cannot be taken away from you. My friends, if you put your life in Jesus' hands and allow your life to be crucified with him, your life will no longer be yours, but your life will be a true life that can never be taken away from you. And that's the mystery of what it means to go to, to pick up your cross and to follow Jesus. And so to close, um, I want to ask you a question, and maybe this is the question to reflect on as you're sitting even this week, uh, things keep changing hour by hour with this virus and with the scare that we're in. People are scared all around us. And uh, this is a time for us to be cautious. This is a time for us to be sensitive. This is a a time for us to be people who are wise in the way we live. But it's also a time for us to reach out and to say, what does it mean to be the church? What does it mean to love others? What does it mean to lean into our identity in Christ in this time? And so the question I want to ask you to reflect on is, what are you afraid to put in his hands? What right now are you afraid to put in his hands? Where are you really harvesting your identity from? Really? Because times like this strip things away from us and show us where our faith and where our hope really truly are lying. What are you afraid to put in his hands? What about your future are you afraid to put in his hands? What about your life are you afraid to put in his hands? You can trust him. Your life in his hands is a life that will be crucified with Christ and raised up to life in him. So I I would love to just kind of close by by praying for you because I believe it starts with awareness, right? We, We have to start by asking that question. What are we afraid of? We have to give it a name. What are we afraid of actually putting in Jesus' hands? And from awareness, that's how we know it's, that's, how we know how to begin to live a crucified life in Christ. But what does God want to show you right now? 
What, what awareness does he want to bring to you? What area of life are you afraid to put in his hands? I'd love to offer a prayer for you, and then um, we're going to sing a song. Corey is going to lead us in, in a song. You can sing along with that wherever you are at home, or you can just allow the words of this song. It's, they speak so powerfully to this. Just allow them to, to wash over your soul as you reflect on this question. So would you pray with me? Uh, Lord Jesus, we just come before you as your children. We've been adopted into the family of God, not by any performance that we've wrought for ourselves, not by any sort of pedigree that we have that was given to us by our parents, not by any of our own effort, God, not by any of our own strength. And we just recognize that our identity, our hope, and our future all are because of you, because of your death on the cross and your resurrection. And so right now, Jesus, whatever it is that maybe we're afraid of, would you bring awareness to each of us where we need to step forward in faith and put our life in your hands? Would you show us where we need to trust in you in in ways that we haven't been maybe? And God, would you show us where we need to reach out and be the church during this time? Um, Father, we just confess that our security, our hope, and our safety are in you. And so, God, whatever is is coming next, whatever news is uh, going to happen in our lives, we know we have a life in you that cannot be taken away from us. And we thank you for that hope. We thank you for that truth. Would you help us to live into that identity in you in the days and the weeks to come? Um, God, and we don't want to be in any way uh, insensitive, God, to those uh, around us who are sick, to those around us who are scared in any way. God, help us to be a voice of faith, a voice of comfort, and help us to be um, just there for each other. We know the way the enemy works is he wants to isolate us and have us give in to fear. And God, we just, want, we just want to rise up against that, and we want to lean into our faith and our trust in you during this time. And so, God, would you speak to us? Would you show us how we can do that? Would you show us where we need to do that in our lives? We love you. We thank you for who you are. It's in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen.